What is up, everyone? My name is OJ Tucker, host of the OJ Tucker podcast, the only comedy tennis podcast that talks about a political and societal culture as a whole. My name is OJ Tucker, as the name would suggest. Happy Thursday. Hopefully, you guys are getting ready for your weekend, spending time with your family, your friends, watching Monte Carlo as well. There's a little bit of news that we can get into for today in terms of news outside of the tennis world. I want to talk about Jon Stewart. Uh, apparently, he had a recent convo with a Pentagon official. That was like a more of a sit down sort of interview, but it felt more as a as a debate, I should say, because the combativeness of the person that he was conversating with definitely seemed as if it was more of a debate as opposed to like an actual conversation. And overall, John Stewart definitely did come across as shockingly as the better individual. Uh, shockingly, I say uh, because we all know he is, uh, but. He had a conversation with this Pentagon official, Kathleen Hicks, and just basically tore her up. And I really want to discuss it. I also want to discuss the overall influence that John Stewart has on comedy as well, which I think is quite noticeable uh, with current late night, with the way things are currently shaping up with late night television. So I want to talk about all that, uh, but I'll, I'll be very honest with you. This podcast episode, very light on topics, very, very light on topics. Not much has really happened. And more importantly, um, that that's sort of what I wanted to say. It, it's very light on the topic. So John Stewart going after the Pentagon official. Also, I want to discuss Ron DeSantis collapsing in the polls. And obviously, I've sort of been up to date on the 2024 election. I know it's like a year in advance, but I've been up to date with who's been uh, who's announcing their candidacy, who hasn't been the overall polls. And I do want to give you a bit of an update on Ron DeSantis, because I do think that in a lot of ways, he hasn't really been living up to his potential. And that's quite concerning for him and for his campaign. So I do want to talk about Ron DeSantis collapsing the polls, what he, I think he can do to make sure that he can go forward and, and pursue this further. Because I do think that right now Trump is leading and that's going to be an issue for him in the long run. So I do want to talk about that with Ron DeSantis and why I do think in a lot of ways he's being a very, he's following Bernie's playbook of trying to follow what the party wants or what the, or, or what individuals select individuals want without really thinking about the outside repercussions. And I'm not saying that he is Bernie Sanders. I'm not saying that. He, he's not right-wing Bernie Sanders by any means. He's very much a establishment guy. But I do feel like there's a lot of beats and patterns that are similar to that of, say, Bernie's 2016 campaign and 2020 campaign. Uh, so I want to discuss that with Ron DeSantis. But first, let's talk about some tennis. So you guys haven't don't know, uh, one individual has came back, has come back, into the tennis world after a one-month leave of absence, not because of, not because he wanted to necessarily. It's because of the fact that he wasn't able to enter the United States because the United States still believes in this antiquated law of getting vaccinated to enter the country for COVID, and because he didn't receive the COVID vaccine, he's not a, he wasn't able to play in Miami. He wasn't able to play uh, Indian Wells, so he had to sit out for one month, and he's come back to play in Monte Carlo in his home. Monaco, uh, where now he lives, uh, and that is Novak Djokovic. And Novak Djokovic, if you didn't uh, see, played against uh, Gekov, 
that's that's what I know of his name. I think it's Mikhail Gakov. Don't call me on that. I'll, I'll research his first name. Uh, Ivan Gakov. Okay, Ivan Gakov. Uh, so he played against Ivan Gakov in his first match in well over a month. The last time he played was in Dubai, where he lost in the semifinal round to Medvedev. So he came back, and he looked sharp. He looked poised. He was able to beat Ivan Gakov 7-6, 7-5 was the tiebreaker, 6-2 in straight sets. Overall, this was just a nice return to form for Novak Djokovic. There's not really much you can really say about the match besides that. Obviously, what we've come to expect from Novak Djokovic, we sort of saw in this match. His forehands were pristine. His backhands were also really nice. He had several clean winners from both sides of the court. He was able to go up to the net when need be. It never felt as if he was rushing or dragging. He was playing within his own composure, within his own comfort level. And it really showed you in that second set. Obviously, in that first set, it was a little bit more com- tight, a little bit more competitive. There were times where Ivan Gekov could have easily won that first set. Uh, but again, the inexperience with Ivan Gekov really caught up to him in that first set. As Novak Djokovic to take it 7-6, 7-5 in that tiebreaker. Again, it's just inexperience that really affected Ivan Gekov's ability to play in this match. And I think that's what separates Novak Djokovic from Ivan Gekov in this match was just his firmness in his commitment to continuing the point in long rallies and long sets, especially in that first set. Um, and that, to me, comes with the baggage of of competing in these tournaments. And I don't, I don't think I should say baggage, per se. I don't think it's necessarily baggage. I just think it comes with the territory of playing in these long t- tournaments, going through the grind of the tennis season. And I think that was very evident with Novak Djokovic in this match. Uh, so yeah, overall, this was a nice match for Novak Djokovic. It was a very nice match for Novak Djokovic. Again, he played very well to his strengths. and never felt as if he was going outside of his comfort level. There were times where he could have easily played a little bit more aggressively and ended the match quicker, but I felt like this was a nice refresher of what separates Djokovic from the pack. And if this match is any sort of indication, I do think that first and foremost, Ivan Galkov, you got to give him credit. I mean, he made the first set competitive. He's not even ranked. Like, I mean, he he's at, he has had zero wins on the ATP Tour, right? He's had zero wins on the ATP Tour. Actually, one uh, win on the ATP Tour. Uh, his... Overall prize money is two hundred fifty thousand dollars to Djokovic's one hundred sixty seven million. Uh, his ATP rank is one hundred ninety eight. He's twenty six years old. I mean, this is an individual that will be a lifer, you know. And when I say a lifer, I mean be in these tournaments. He might he might squeak into an ATP one thousand tournament here and there, but you'll never see him again uh, after that. And that's completely fine, right? That's completely fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But overall, you got to give him credit because he could have easily thrown in a towel. He could have been like, oh, my God, second round, Djokovic, I, I got to play against this guy. I'm, I'm taking the day off. Like, he could have easily done that, but he made a valiant effort to make it competitive. And you got to give him credit. You got to give him credit when, when, when credit's due. Uh, so overall, nice match for Novak Djokovic. There's not really much you can say about the match, per se. It's just a nice refresher as to what, make, what makes him so great to begin with. And that's his ability to stay composed and to stick to what he does best. And, and to be very sort of 
organic when it comes to his play. You know, never really overstepping his boundaries, but more importantly, just focusing on what can keep the ball within the parameters of the court and doing that to perfection time and time again in long rallies and long sets and long matches. And while this was certainly not a long match, it was definitely a match where you saw Novak Djokovic really strip himself down to do what he needed to do to win. And I think that's a good thing. Overall, I do think that Novak Djokovic does have a good uh, chance of not only winning Monaco, uh, but also winning the French Open as well. Um, I, we've seen him win the French Open two years ago. Obviously, last year he lost to Nadal uh, in a quarterfinal, semifinal round. Quarterfinal, I would say. And I do think that if he's able to not be in the same bracket as Nadal, there's a good chance that you can see him win. There's a good chance you can see him win. I, and I wouldn't really put it past him. Obviously, the one month of him not playing that will derail him in some way, shape, or form. Who knows? Maybe it's within Monaco. Maybe it's in uh, Madrid. Who knows, per se, as to who knows when it will be where it will uh, bite him back. But I do think that for the French Open, he is in good standing to win it. I mean, there's only a few other individuals you can really say that can do well. I mean, Kasparud, Nadal, Alcaraz, Medvedev, and, and I think the list ends there. Sitsipas, I think, is on the fringe. We have to still see as to whether or not he's able to win these ATP 1000 tournaments. Because if he's able to win these ATP 1000 tournaments, I do think he's also within that good standing of succeeding in clay, just like the other four that I mentioned. But right now, I think Novak Djokovic is in good standing. Um... Is he the favorite, odds-on favorite, to win the French Open? Obviously not. I mean, I think Nadal is still the clear favorite. I would say Alcaraz in second, and then Medvedev and Rude are tied at third. Um, I, w- I would say Djokovic is in that cohort of, th- of third place alongside Medvedev and Alcaraz. But yeah, I, d- I definitely do think that Casper Rude, or sorry, Rude and Medvedev, Win number three. I definitely do think that uh, Alcaraz and Nadal right now, I think, are a little bit more ahead of him in that department. I'm not saying that he's not able to win. I mean, don't take this as a slight. I'm just saying that this is just my overall prediction as to who I think will fare the best for Roland Garros. You know, so hopefully it turns out well for him. I, I really do wish him the best of luck. Obviously, you know, he's he's been a good ambassador for the sport of tennis, and I feel like in a lot of ways he does get slighted, especially when, when you saw him get banned from American tennis tournaments because of the fact that he couldn't enter into America without having the vaccine. And it's good to see, you know, lawmakers fight against that. You know, when you saw Ron DeSantis fight against it, I thought that was a good idea, a good move on his part. I thought that was a good presidential move. Uh, obviously, if he just stopped there, you would see him do a little bit better. Uh, because now he's arguing for a six-week abortion ban, which the majority of Americans don't support. So overall, with Novak Djokovic, I hope for him to do the best. I really do hope so. Uh, I think when it comes to technicians on the court, when it comes to individuals who have the mental fortitude and mental strength to go even further in tennis tournaments, there's no one like him. Like, there's no one like him. There's There's not a single individual that I've seen withstand the pressure like Novak Djokovic and that's not even that's not even you know me just like sucking him off I'm being very honest here like there's nobody that I've ever seen 
in the sport of tennis that's able to withstand the pressure like Novak Djokovic. So for me, like when I when I see all of this sort of controversy or or hype around you know him in Australia last year or him with the United States in the past two years. To me, I realize that he's able to just go above and beyond that. And he is not able to really focus on that. He's able to just focus on the task at hand, focus on what's in front of him. And that's the tennis match that he's in at that moment in time. You know, he'll often point into his box and be like, and just and if you're not if you're not watching me on YouTube, which you should be watching on YouTube, uh, he's I'm basically just pointing at my head. You know, he'll be at his own box, at his own side of the court, and just point at his head while a point is won for him, or one once a point is finished and he won the point, and he'll be like, and to me that's a good indication that tennis is just as big as a mental battle as it is a physical battle, and he's really able to exemplify that whenever he's able to be play on court. So overall, I do hope for him to succeed and do well at Roland Garros because at the end of the day I do want to add to the overall conversation of the GOAT right I mean obviously Djokovic right now as of this moment in time is the GOAT I think he's one major shy of Nadal I might be wrong on that I think Djokovic has 21 Nadal is 22 if he wins another one he's able to tie with Nadal and as we all know he's younger than Nadal by two years, three years. So he's definitely able to catch, catch up to him. If not, dare I say, eclipse Nadal in the majors one department. But I just think it would be nice to have that one major one. That way, when we get into Wimbledon, that way, that way when we get into United States Open, it can be a little bit more interesting storyline-wise. Of Oh, they both have the same amount of majors who will prevail at Wimbledon. They both had a fair amount of success in Wimbledon. Djokovic has won, what, seven, eight, nine times in Wimbledon. Nadal has won twice. You know, they've both won multiple times at this major. Who will prevail? Who will win major number 23? I mean, there's so many storylines to get into if Novak Djokovic is able to win this major. And I really hope for that to happen. Uh, I mean, I just hope for anyone to win the major if if it makes it a competitive match. If it's more competitive than last year's Roland Garros match, then I, for one, consider that a win. I really do think so. Uh, not to crap on that match. Uh, obviously, Castro did the best of his ability. But again, that match was not the prettiest. Uh, so if this Roland Garros final is any better, is even a tad bit better than Rude Nadal, to me, that's a win. That's a win straight out the bat. But yeah, overall... Uh, I hope uh, Ivor Gakov, Gakov, I wish him the best of luck, obviously. You know, he was in a pretty bit of a situation tussle where obviously he was not going to win. But if there's any sort of competitiveness to that match, to me, I consider that a W, especially for him, especially for his stage and his career. So congrats to Ivor Gakov on making it competitive, but also... Let's hope that Djokovic is able to make this clay season a season where he can do well at. Because a lot of times he doesn't really do well in the build-up to the French Open, right? I mean, for the past few years or so, the titles have gone to Sitsipas, they've gone to Zverev, they've gone to Nadal over the past two or three years. And it definitely does seem as if the build-up to Roland Garros isn't necessarily Djokovic's strong suit. And that's not necessarily a critique of him. That's not necessarily me trying to character assassinate him. It's just the fact of life. It's just the fact in the past few years that he hasn't really been able to uh, do well 
at these smaller tournaments in the build-up to the French Open. So hopefully he's able to do that. I hope he's able to do that uh, because I do think that really adds more to the overall conversation and it really can generate a nice build to the French Open. Um, but yeah, overall, I do think that he's in that league with Rude and Medvedev as as third in the rankings of who will succeed at Roland Garros. I think it's Nadal, it's Alcaraz, then it's Rune Medvedev, as long as as well as Djokovic. Now that I think about it, I think Djokovic should be with Alcaraz. I think it's Nadal, Alcaraz, Djokovic, and then Rune Medvedev as number three. I think that's a better way of sort of classifying it and grouping it, as opposed to me putting him third, because that's that just makes no sense to put him third. Um, but anyways. Those are my thoughts. Uh, let me know what you th- guys think about uh, all those uh, things that I just said, um, for lack of a better way of saying it, for lack of a better way of phrasing it. Uh, if you have any questions or comments on Djokovic, do you, if you think Djokovic can win Roland Garros, leave your comments down below. How do you think Djokovic will win Roland Garros? Who do you think will do well for the clay season in regards to the build-up to Roland Garros? Do you think Stefan Sousa will have a similar fate as he had in 2021 do you think Rafa Nadal will win it all in 2020 and 2023 like he did back in 2022 leave your comments down below I'll do my best to respond to each and every one of them but let me know your overall thoughts on Roland Garros this year and whether or not you're excited for the build for it all comments are greatly appreciated and um, without no further ado let's get into our next topic so Again, very chill with the topics here. I, I didn't really pick that much or that many, to be honest with you, because there wasn't that many to begin with. Um, so let's get into news within the political realm. I think I talked enough about tennis. Let's talk about things within the political realm. So Ron DeSantis is not doing well in the polls, and there is a reason behind it. So as we all know, Ron DeSantis is running 2024. Uh, he's had a few policies that, and a few uh, things that he said that, to me, in the primary, I fear not for him, but I fear that it won't go as well as he would like. Right? I think there's a lot of things that he's saying right now and doing that I don't think will bode well with Republicans outside of Florida. Uh, when you think about a six-week abortion ban right now that uh, currently got, got passed through the Senate, House Senate in Florida, I mean, that is sitting right at his doorstep. And all he has to do is just sign it and put it into power. But again, there's a lot. There's going to be a lot of backlash to it because, A, it's a six-week abortion ban. You know, a lot of people are not in favor of it. And more importantly, it just, does, it just doesn't bode well with moderate Republicans that vote in the primary. For a lot of moderate Republicans, they're very much in the Rockefeller side of things where... You know, they're very socially liberal, physically conservative. And when they have this abortion ban at their disposal, and when I say disposal, at their disposal, I mean for the Republicans' disposal, to me that does offset a lot of individuals from supporting DeSantis. I mean, when you think about Trump, I mean, Trump was not the biggest pro-life guy ever. I mean, he donated to Planned Parenthood. He was not the biggest pro-life guy. Yes, he did put conservative judges on court, but he never envisioned them to overturn Roe v. Wade. And in fact, he was actually quite shocked that they overturned Roe v. Wade. So for a lot of Republicans and for a lot of Republican voters, they see Trump as a little bit more lenient on that issue. And not only that, but when you think about Trump's recent issues with getting indicted and arrested and I, I put arrested in quotes by the way because I saw him at UFC 
at the latest UFC event with with Adesonia and Alex Pereira, and I saw him betting on the on the matches. So I'm like, how how legitimate is this indictment? How legitimate is this arrest? If he's sitting with Dana White and rubbing shoulders with Kid Rock, right? If if that's happening in Miami, right? Then this arrest isn't that big of an issue. But I, I'm not talking about that. I, I'll digress from that topic. I'm just strictly talking about um, Trump and his arrest. The fact that Ron DeSantis was not that firm in his belief that Trump should be arrested, to me, it does seem a little bit cuckoldish. It reminds me a lot of Bernie in 2016, where he would defend Hillary and her emails. And to me, it's just not good politics. It's just not good politics whatsoever when you see that happen. Because for me, like I, I like Bernie. I'm not going to lie. I thought Bernie was, to be honest with you, the only individual that was being honest on stage. He wasn't the perfect candidate. There were things that I disagree with him, especially in the 2020 run. But in terms of the overall sentiments and thoughts that he tried to entertain, I thought he was a very rational, pragmatic individual. I'm not saying that he was like the best guy ever. I'm just I'm just saying that in terms of the policies that he put forth, I thought that was the best way to help all working class people. And when I saw him just constantly just cuck himself to the establishment, I'm like, bro, you're so much better than this. And I'm not saying Ron DeSantis is Bernie's 2.0. I don't think so in the slightest. To me, he's as establishment as they come. You know, he's Mr. Israel. He is a Zionist. You know, he's, to be honest with you, going to continue the wars that are currently in place, if not add more wars to, wars to appease Israel and to appease the current establishment and the current regime. That's what he is. But his overall his overall focus, and, and not only just focus, but his overall strategy for 2024 has a lot of beats and patterns to Bernie. And that does not go unnoticed. So let me get into this article right here. Uh, this is from NBC News. So Ron DeSantis' long-haul strategy against Trump comes into view. Uh, although, let me, let me read it. Let me enlarge this image first because I, I haven't. All right. Although he hasn't yet announced a presidential bid, the Florida governor's team has already had internal discussions about delegate strategy. Oh, no. Uh, let's get into the article. So Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' team is already plotting out a strategy to run against Donald Trump for the long haul. The plan focuses less on making a quick splash in places like Iowa or New Hampshire and more on outlasting the former president in battle for Republican convention delegates. Even though it's early and DeSantis isn't officially a candidate yet, and talks behind the scenes, an expanded map is viewed as one of the keys to victory. Three sources close to the governor's head. All right, so I do want to pick apart that first thing that I mentioned with Iowa and New Hampshire. So he's not campaigning in Iowa and New Hampshire. That, to me, is a red flag. I mean... Hillary Clinton did not campaign in Michigan, Wisconsin. She thought those were locked states in 2016. Look at look at how that turned out. You know, I think it's very very important that if you are a candidate that you run in those states because, to be honest with you, that's the way that you're able to siphon votes. And if you're able to do well in those battleground states, then it's a good indication that you'll do well in the general election. So to see him not run in those states, that's not a good. Uh, that's not a good news to settle with. Um, he's focusing more on delegates, so who knows what that means. Maybe it's a rehash of 2016 with a Democratic primary where you have all these votes that go in for one candidate, but then the superdelegates flip those votes to make it go for Hillary Clinton who, or, or for the establishing candidate in charge, and I think that might definitely happen for the Republican primary. I definitely do think that there will be some chicanery happening with the primary. 
there's going to be some funny business happening with the primary where it will sway during it will sway for Trump. But then there will be some internal leaks that will happen that will sway to DeSantis. I do definitely do think that that's a possibility. Don't call me on that. But I definitely do think that that is a possibility because at the end of the day, the establishment favors its own. They favor individuals that continue the bidding of those in charge without putting out tweets that come at the behest of said individuals. And I think for them, Ron DeSantis is that guy that's able to do that to the T. Um, and that's something that you can't really expect from Trump, because even though Trump will do the bidding of the war contractors, the weapons manufacturers, the the big banks and big tech, even though he will do all of that, he will have a few tweets that will reveal the swamp for what it is. And to be honest with you, that's what they fear the most. Not his policy per se, but more importantly, his overall attitude towards said policy and his overall cult of personality sort of situation that he deals with himself with. Uh, so yeah, that's sort of what I believe with the primaries. I do think DeSantis will edge out Trump and there will be some tricky things that will come at play for that to happen. Anyway, so let's continue with the uh, article here. Uh, there have been multiple conversations about delegates and how they are picked in various states across the country. A DeSantis advisor said, one thing that we have looked at is that Trump can be beat on the delegate portion of all this. He has never been good at that, uh, which at that, it means politicking within the Republican establishment and Republican base. Uh, that is what he has isn't good at. Another DeSantis political advisor said there has been internal conversations about delegate strategy. Staffers expected to lead the effort, including Ryan, Tom, Ryan Tyson, not Ryan Thompson, Ryan Tyson, a longtime Florida governor GOP pollster who, governor, a Florida GOP pollster who played a crucial role in DeSantis' 19-point re-election victory last year, and Jeff Rice, a longtime Republican operative who led Senator Ted Cruz's 2016 presidential campaign and is now advising pro-Desanta Super PAC never backed down. All right, so that's a winning team here. I mean, 2016 Ted Cruz, winning team right there. Uh, overall, I wish him well. I wish him well. I don't think he's the most glamorous pick for president. I don't even think he's that great. To be honest with you, I think he's Marco Rubio, with, but with more fat on him and uh, less charisma or more charisma, I should say. He's Marco Rubio with more charisma and more fat. That is who Ron DeSantis is, and that's who you will always will be. That is what he is. Um, again, he's a star in Florida, right? I mean, a lot of people love Ron DeSantis, right? Jorge Masvidal in his retirement speech said he loved Trump and loved DeSantis, which, hey, you do you, Masvidal. I mean, it is what it is. Um, but at the same time, there's nothing much you can look at and think to yourself, this guy is like a change in the guard. He, he is not a change in the guard. In a lot of ways, he is the guard. Any candidate that's being supported by Jeb Bush is establishment to their core. And that's what DeSantis is right now. And that's who he always will be. You know, he is an establishment hack through and through. His overall foreign policy record shows, shows that. Yes, he may say some things that, you know, are very populist, you know, such as, you know, his overall COVID situation, I thought he did pretty good with the COVID thing um, in terms of, you know, just showing that, hey, you got to live your life. You know, it makes no sense to follow these outdated rules. So 
to me, honestly, the COVID thing he did well on. And I feel like in a few years from now, we'll be looking at our overall handling of COVID and be like, we really made kids be socially unaware. And we took two or three years out of their childhood so that 90-year-olds can live. Like, <laughs> we'll look back at that period and be like, Dude, we are the dumbest people ever. Like, we will look back at that 2020, 2021, those two years, those 18 months or whatever, however long COVID was, and be like, we really made our kids go through all that? We really made our kids suffer through that for the betterment of some 90-year-old who was going to die anyways in the next few weeks to come? Like, we really did that. We really did all of that. Um, anyways, uh, overall... I hope and wish him the best of luck. I really do hope that DeSantis can at least make it competitive. You know, because right now I do think that Trump is the clear-cut favorite. I was on the fence about who will win, DeSantis or Trump. But I think in terms of polling-wise, it's Trump all the way. It really is. Um, it's going to be Trump from now until the foreseeable future. Who knows what will happen? I don't think he'll be thrown in jail. I just don't think the accusations are that credible uh, to begin with. Do I think that there will be some shady tactics that will happen? Yes, of course. Of course. And that will happen on primary day. That will happen during the primaries. There will be leaked emails that will come to light, like it happened in 2016 where they cheated Bernie out of the election. They cheated Bernie out of the primary, just like they did in 2020 with all the superdelegates in 2020 and all the, you know, I mean, I saw like a county in Iowa who literally did a coin flip as to who will win the county between Buttigieg and Bernie and went to Buttigieg. And I'm like, this is our democracy, a coin flip determines elections, a coin flip, a, a literal coin flip determines elections. So when I saw that, I'm like, okay, this is easily, this is just clearly rigged. None of our voices really matter. So just enjoy the insanity for what it is. Enjoy the debates. And that's what I, that's what I really want. And that's what I really am anticipating for. I like debates. You know, there's a reason as to why debates are so fun to begin with when it comes to Trump, because Trump is the big boss in the debates. He's, he just is. He's he's the guy on the microphone that just tells it like it is. He's the voice, the voiceless. And while his policy is just as is just as the same as every other Republican ever, his overall rhetoric is what separates him from the pack. And that's what I really am anticipating for in the 2024 election. I just want to see him just eviscerate these individuals and tear them a new one. Now, I still remember him in Lindsey Graham, South Carolina, going after Jeb Bush, saying, your brother caused 9-11. The World Trade Center came down because of your brother. I, I When I saw, when I heard that, that was a full-on mic drop moment. I was watching it when I was like 16, 17 years old. I'm like, bro, this guy is the motherfucking G. This guy is everything everything like this guy is just like it's just that's just crazy the fact that a presidential candidate said that on cbs of all places on national television on live television is one of the greatest moments i've ever seen in debate history like how can you follow that up like every every debate before then was child's play by that point you know when he heard obama crap on romney saying oh the 1980s call they won their foreign policy back that was a nice rib i'm not gonna lie but like it doesn't even hold a candle to what trump did to jeb bush to marco rubio to ted cruz to Rand paul 
And I, I like Rand Paul, by the way. I think he has a lot of good opinions on foreign policy. But the the way that he just eviscerated them and tore their hole a new one is something to be studied for years to come. And if you are a candidate running in 2024, you got to be able to handle that. Can you go toe-to-toe with Trump on the promo? You know, I mean, it's like going toe-to-toe with Stone Cold Steve Austin, you know, like in terms of promos, right? Like, can you be able to go toe-to-toe with him? Can you be able to go toe-to-toe with, you know, with the CM Punks of the world? I don't know. I'm, I'm Politics is wrestling. So I'm just trying to uh, associate it with the wrestling stars that I know do well with the promos. Um, but can you do well? Can you do well in the promos? And that's that's what matters. And I don't think DeSantis can do that. And I think in a lot of ways, in terms of popularity, I think Trump will only skyrocket and do well. And DeSantis will just go down and down and down because he just can't handle himself. He always, in some way, shape, or form, tries to not pick a side when it comes to Trump. He's not able to truly dictate or truly articulate his thoughts on Trump because he realizes that he realizes that Trump is the front runner, and if he says anything that's demeaning to Trump, that that only means that his numbers will go down. So he's in a very tricky spot here. To me, if what I would advise him is just to go toe-to-toe with him. You know, Michelle Obama said when they go low, we go high. No, no, no. If they go low, you got to go lower. Like, you got to go even lower. You got to make sure that people support you and realize that Trump is a fraud. Because he really is a fraud. He's a con man. You know, I mean, for four years, for four years, you know, he was basically governing America no differently than how Mitt Romney would govern it. The, in the first year in his office... He passed a 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that basically incentivized the big banks even more and took more ha- more money off of the hands or took more money out of the hands of working class people. In his first year alone, he passed the 2017 Tax Cuts Act that basically just helped out Goldman Sachs. Right? That was basically a bill that was legislated on behalf of Goldman Sachs and on the Treasury Secretary. I mean, that uh, Steve Mnuchin. So again, it, it really, during his four years, he was no different than any other Republican uh, president. He really wasn't. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he tackles that. You know, I, I wish him the best of luck. I wish him uh, nothing but good vibes. And um, yeah, I think that's it for the topic of Ron DeSantis. Um, I just want to see carnage, right? I mean, politics is wrestling, and if it doesn't resort into people resorting to fisticuffs then like what's the point of it right i want to see like actual fights on stage in fact that should be the factor as to whether or not you should vote for a candidate can they be in a fist fight when i see most of these people i mean based off their education based off their ivy league education based off how they grew up i don't think they've ever been in a fight i just don't i don't think these people have ever been in a fight i don't think ron DeSantis has ever been in a fight i want to see ron DeSantis versus trump on a pay-per-view fight, on the undercard with Jake Paul as main card, I want to see that happen. I want to see Trump and DeSantis go go fight best out of ten rounds, or just fight in the octagon. I want to see that. There should be more fights. There should uh, the fact that there's not a pay-per-view where it's just a bunch of celebrity fights, but with people that are like dignified. I, I should say. I don't know where I'm going with this, but. It's a good idea. It's a good idea. There should be like political fights out there, but in an actual political fight. 
you know like who wouldn't want to see like mtg versus aoc like that would be box office that would be box office you know i don't know i'm I'm just spitballing ideas here but trump and desantis you know in a ufc fight in in an mma fight bro in the octagon i think i think trump would take down desantis i'm not gonna lie i think i think trump would take him down with with a with a few with a, with a good combo, you know, one two combo, maybe grapple him and, and, and take him down, go for the takedown, go for the submission. I don't know. I'm, I this is all just this is just all fan fiction, by the way. This is this has nothing to do with the topic at hand. I just want to see them in a fight. That's what I basically want to see. But I, I do think that Trump can take him down via submission. I don't think he can knock him down. I don't think he can he can win through knockout or TKO, but through submission, he can put him in a guillotine choke. I mean, I think he can put him in a guillotine choke. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm just spitballing ideas here, and, and uh, I'm just stalling for time. Anyways, I think that's it for the DeSantis combo. Uh, let's get into news within the political realm adjacent to the political uh, section of this podcast. So John Stewart had a conversation with a Pentagon official, Kathleen Hicks, I think her name is, and uh, he basically just eviscerated her, but did so in a very... John Stewart way where he didn't really raise his voice. He wasn't really being combative. He just asked questions and Kathleen Hicks buckled because of that. Uh, so let, let's get into it. So this is from salon.com. That's fucking corruption. John Stewart corners top Pentagon official in epic confrontation. So comedian and talk show host John Stewart called out a top Pentagon official over corruption at the Department of Defense during an interview last week. Stewart interviewed Kathleen Hicks, Deputy Secretary of Defense at the War House war horse symposium at the university of chicago on april 6th delving into intense questions about the military defense budget at one point in the discussion titled the human impact of military service stewart underscored the pentagon's most recent audit in which the chief controller determined that the military was able unable to account for a whopping 60 percent of its assets stewart called the findings evidence of waste fraud and abuse all right, this is all news to me. I had no idea. When I first researched the topic, I'm like, I had no idea that they audited the military defense uh, department. Uh, I think more audits should happen. I think they should be more third party, not internally. I think an internal audit is just as useful as, say, uh, what's well, an unuseful thing that's considered to be useful? Um, I don't know. I, and there's nothing that comes to mind. But I do think that it's very un- unuseful. I, I, do, I, I think an internal audit is is about as useful as say you know carlos mencia trying to come up with the original jokes you know i don't know why when they're uh, that's not a dig at and mencia i have no i i have no connection with mencia i'm just saying it, it's uh, it's unuseful it's just unuseful to see an internal audit because it's biased as hell first and foremost when you ever see an internal audit it's biased as hell they're not going to come to an actual conclusion that is satisfactory for anybody involved and internal audits are just not that effective. They're just not effective. In fact, it's propaganda. It really is propaganda for the powers that be or for the people that are in charge. That's all it is. Uh, let's continue with the Salon article, though. So Stewart also singled out the gaping dissonance. That's a weird way to describe it. But gaping dissonance between the DOD's constantly expanding budget and its treatment of troops. 
We got out of 20 years of war and the Pentagon got a raise, Stewart said. I can't figure out how, how, how $850 billion to a department means that the rank and file still have to be on food stamps. To me, that's fucking corruption. I think that's right, actually. Um, to see people who are in the military still on government aid, despite the amount of aid that the United States government gives to its military, to me, that's quite unsettling. That's quite unnerving. Yes, do I think... You know, actually, I don't want to even say that. The people in the Army, Air Force, Navy, I don't think they're they're not treated fairly whatsoever. I, I just don't think so. Yes, there are times where they get benefits, you know. I mean, free college, that's not that bad. But it, that should be universal, right? I mean, I do think, you know, free or reduced college, to be honest with you, that should be one of those things that isn't as important as healthcare per se, but I definitely do think that that should be a uh, possibility for people even outside of those who serve in the army and air force or serve outside of our system right uh anyways let's continue with the article hicks acknowledged that we need to increase the spending that we are putting forward to our service members and their families we're putting our money where our month mouth is in areas like childcare. we do think we're getting better at that hicks said hicks also tried to defer, deter blame over funding issues to congress part of what we're recruiting individuals into is a lifetime of social of a social contract and va is at the other end of that she said, so we work really closely with them and they're doing incredible work to advance the quality of care for our veterans. And I, th I think it's very important to say this. When she said all of this, I saw the video for this. She was very smug and condescending. It didn't really come across as say, hey, we're doing this. We're trying to do everything we can for our veterans. We're trying to make sure that they get the pay that they deserve, that they get the benefits that they deserve. It came across as very matter of factly. It came across as very sort of, well, actually, it came across as very standoffish and very much of an asshole like behavior it didn't come across as hey like we're i hear your concerns we understand that we got to treat our veterans better and this is what we're trying to do x y and z and then for and then some mm -hmm. you know that's not what it happened that's not how it took place it was very condescending she was i don't know if you can see on the video but she was standing like this you know sort of one foot out the other foot in you know not really in involved in the conversation at hand it came across as very sort of i'm better than you you're some jack jackass of a comedian i'm not going to take you seriously that's what it came down to and to me to be honest with you ask any veteran i'm sure they'll all say that john stewart has done more for veterans and more for people that serve this country than this lady has ever done in her life and that to me speaks volumes it really does uh, anyway, so let's get into let's continue with the article. There's still more. Uh, I think this is a little bit more of a of a backstory as to like what's at play here. But the Associated Press press reported in November that as many as 160,000 active duty military members were coping with food insecurity and struggling to feed their families. That's 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 quite jarring. Uh, Task and Purpose reported that in August the U.S. Army introduced a financial readiness program to mitigate the rising cost of inflation and assist soldiers in man managing their finances. All right, so there's a little bit more, and I, I don't want to get too into it um, because it's it details with the finances of the military budget, but obviously I think a military budget is just way too much. We've got to trim it down some way. Uh, but John Stewart comes across as the more likable person, as he always does, and if anything... What a missed opportunity by this chick. What a missed opportunity. You had ample amount of time and opportunity to really educate Jon Stewart, or not even educate, educate Jon Stewart, just make sure that you come across as good. 
You had ample time to be like, you know what? The U.S. Army, the U.S. government cares about its citizens. We do everything we can. And I, we hear your concerns, and we're going to do even more. That's, that's what it should have been. But she didn't come across like that. She didn't say it like that. In fact, it was very smug, as I've said before, very condescending, not understanding the popularity that John Stewart has with active duty military members. And she just whiffed big time. And John Stewart, I mean, what's what's there to say about him that hasn't already been said? He I feel like he is the most likable of the political comedians out there because he really does put his money where his mouth is. You know, he does really go out into these streets and help out these veterans and help out these people who have been wronged by the system. You don't see that from a Trevor Noah, right? Like Trevor Noah is retired from The Daily Show. Do you see Trevor Noah fighting for people that have been wronged by the system? Do you see Trevor Noah really fighting? And I'm not saying that comedians have to fight for, you know, for for politics. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that if you're a, if you're a comedian who made his money by talking about his pol- by po- by talking about politics, by picking these hot relevant hot button topics to sort of latch onto and leech off of to get a following and a fan base, you got to be sincere in your beliefs when you say that. And more importantly, you got to put your money where your mouth is and you got to make sure that it comes across as natural. And that's the issue with I feel like late night comedy is that it doesn't come across as good faith. And a lot of in a lot of ways, when you watch late night comedy right now, you see a lot of individuals that just latch onto movements that are deemed to be progressive, when in reality they're just doing it because they're getting that check from Viacom, they're getting that check from Comcast, they're getting that check from Disney, and they just gotta latch onto it because that's what their employer says. And they don't really have any sincere beliefs when it comes to that. But with Jon Stewart, it feels as if he's being authentic. And when you see him, you know, fighting for, you know, veterans that had to deal with burn pits, when you see him fighting on the Senate floor for 9-11 victims, you know, that have been not been compensated correctly at all for their for their for their fight during that time or during that day, to be honest with you, that goes a long way. And that shows just how authentic and genuine he is when it comes to issues like that. Um, and you don't see that from a Trevor Noah. You don't see that from a Stephen Colbert. You don't see that from a, J- a Jimmy Kimmel. I mean, not, not yeah, Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, Jimmy Fallon, I don't think, really talks about politics. I think Jimmy Fallon actually avoids politics on his show. But, you know, when you think about Trevor Noah, I mean, Trevor Noah made his bones by literally immigrating to a country that he willingly chose to immigrate on and shot on 80% of the country. I mean, think about how privileged and how open we are as Americans for that to happen. This dude literally came from South Africa into a different country and then just shat on 70% of the country. I'm like, what gives here? Like, why are you doing this? Why? You should be thankful that you got into this country and that you are a citizen and that you're able to do this for a living. You know how difficult it is to be a citizen in this country? Like, do you know how difficult it is to acquire citizenship in this country? It's mind-bogglingly hard it really is ask any h1b worker in san francisco they'll tell you it's hard to be a citizen in this country so the fact that you got like trevor noah of all people to like criticize america i'm like you you didn't grow up here you weren't born here what are you doing here 
I'm not saying what are you doing here. I'm just saying, why are you criticizing America? You just got here. You just got here. You have no right to do this. But it, it shows you the will and the grace that we have as Americans that we allow that. So all I'm saying is this. I think Jon Stewart always comes across as the most genuine guy on late night. His influence can still be seen today on late night television with just how overly political everything is on late night television. But I do feel as if there's a little bit of a charm that's missing with current late night host that we saw within Jon Stewart. Because with Jon Stewart, at least he was impartial. At least he was objective. At least he came off as sincere and genuine and willing to hear both sides out. With with current late night, it's just overly partisan. It's just so focused and hellbent on the culture war. There's very little grace when it comes to really being objective. Everything comes through a very neoliberal perspective and lens to it. And it's just so apparent and it's just so fraudulent. You know, when you, I, I, for me, like when you, when you see, when I see Colbert, when I see Trevor Noah, I know exactly what they're going to say before they say it. Obviously, Trevor Noah is not on, on the Daily Show anymore. But when you see Colbert on late night, you're like, I know exactly what he's going to say before he says it. I know the exact sort of joke structure that he's going to say before he says it. Same with John Oliver, same with all these late night hosts. That's why I just truly can't watch late night. I just can't. I mean, there are times where you, you watch late night and be like, okay, there's some potential here, right? There's some potential to what this person's doing. But the overall political overtones to it, to be honest with you, sort of ruin the show in a lot of ways. You know, I mean, late night was always cringe. I mean, let's be honest here. The late night was always cringe, even back in the day. Um, it was just the only form of entertainment that was around. That's why it was considered to be good. But nowadays, it's just, you could just tell the fraudulence. Um, so to me, honestly, John Stewart is one of the most influential comedians of, of the 21st century. Uh, he made of, might've swung comedy in a different direction in a direction that didn't really focus on the jokes per se, but instead of making a point and obviously John Stewart is, is funny. I mean, he is funny, but the overall influence that he's had on comedy, I don't know if it's like good per se, obviously John Stewart hilarious comedian great comedian great guy uh but the overall influence that he's had on comedy it inspired some of the saddest people ever to say to, to think of themselves that if they're right that it makes it funny and it's it's just not the case you know it just isn't the case whatsoever uh so yeah overall john stewart's right in his overall combo with kathleen hicks uh, i haven't watched his new show the problem with john stewart I haven't watched it as much as I should. Um, I, I would like to just keep my focus on John Stewart purely through The Daily Show because I feel like that's where he was excelling at the most. I mean, when you saw him in 2012, you know, supporting Ron Paul and being like, Ron Paul's in the lineup. Why is Fox News not talking about Ron Paul? To be honest with you, that was just amazing to see. It really was. So... Hopefully more stuff like that happens. Obviously him going after the lab uh, after uh, the 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 lab leak was amazing and how the fact that he was like shining a light on the bat, the Wuhan bat and how it did not come from a bat but came from a lab. I thought that was poignant and honestly still true to this day. I mean, it, it just is. Um, yeah, I just think it's great. I really do think it's good. I think, I mean, 
Jon Stewart has definitely influenced comedy, uh, dare I say, for the worse. But Jon Stewart himself is still important. You know, he's still one of the most influential comedians in the past 20 to 25 years. Easily. Easily. I mean, he may have influenced the wrong people, right? You got the Colbert's, you got the Noah's. You're like, okay, these individuals, they're into making points without actually telling a joke, you know. But John Stewart himself, hilarious. And, um, yeah, I just hope him to do best, you know. I mean, he's, he's like he's like Yoda in a lot of ways, you know. He's like Yoda. He is like Yoda. He is our version of Yoda, you know. He's, you know, doing everything that these late-night hosts claim that they care about. And uh, it's nice, you know, it's good to see because I'll be honest with you. Noah's not going to do this. Trevor Noah's not going to do this. He's, he's busy, you know, trying to set up, you know, meetings with, with uh, A-list singers for, in the hopes of dating them. You know, that, that's, that's Noah's MO. You can easily tell that Trevor Noah does not care about politics whatsoever. Yeah, he, he, he puts that on, right? He, he'll act as if he hears about politics but for him like it's just another way for him to achieve stardom that's all it is that's all it is that's all it ever will be you know i mean even during trump's time in office there are so many comedians comedians per se that hated trump on the face on the surface they hated trump but deep down inside they needed trump to survive sarah cooper needed trump to survive and now you see sarah cooper doing god knows what because as we all know she needed Trump. She needed Trump for her career to continue going forward. You know, in fact, I'm sure Sarah Cooper will vote for Donald Trump in 2024 because her career needs that. She's a one-trick pony who only does a Trump accent or basically just ad-libs to Trump, not even does a Trump accent. She can't even do that. But to be honest with you, that, that's who she's going to vote for because she needs a career. You know, again, I'm not trying to like crap on Sarah Cooper, like, I don't want this to be like me going after other comedians. There's already so much comedian infighting that happens on YouTube. So I don't want to be like, I don't want to be the next guy that just goes after other comedians. But I'm just saying that, you know, be aware of people that are very political and show just how politically woke they are. Because in a lot of ways, it's just a character to put on. Nothing more, nothing less. So it's good to see John Stewart actually care about these issues and really fighting for it. And yeah, there's, I mean, he's right. You know, the military budget's way too much. We don't really invest that much in our own, you know, active duty uh, military members. And those things need to be addressed. You know, there's a lot of long-term health concerns with active duty military members, whether it's, you know, you know schizophrenia, whether it is... Um, whether it's just mental cognitive decline, whether it is, you know, just their inability to be as physically fit as they once were or as physically active as they once were, you know, whether it's, you know, just it's just all those things should be of concern. And I'm happy that John Stewart's really talking about it. So uh, without anything else, I think that's it for the uh, podcast for today. So, guys. Thank you so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. Make sure you guys like, subscribe, and click the bell icon for notifications down below. Make sure you follow me on my Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at AJTucker, A-J-A-Y-T-H-A-K-K-A-R underscore at the end on my Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Make sure you follow me on my podcast channel, my podcast clips channel, 
and my stand-up channel. All the links are down in the description box below. And make sure you rate and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And last but not least, make sure you spread it through through word of mouth and through your text chains, through your group threads. I think spreading this through word of mouth to get more and more people involved and invest in this podcast is a great thing. It's an admirable thing. The more the merrier. I don't know what I'll be talking about on Tuesday. Who knows? Um, I, I really don't know what I'll be talking about on Tuesday. I, I, I'm going to be very quite honest with you. Maybe I'll talk more about Monte Carlo, things about our political and societal realm. Who knows? But anyways, guys, thanks so much for watching. Thanks so much for listening. Avoid the bookings. I'll see you guys on Tuesday. Enjoy your weekend. And that's about it, guys. Thanks so much. Peace. See y'all.